Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you are here for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, good, and crazy martinis for you today. And we'll start off with even more good news. It's not one of the martinis, but it's good to know that uh, we are sponsored today by Hydrant. For 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code martini at checkout, drinkhydrant.com. Enter the promo code martini. Much more on that in just a moment. So Jim, as mentioned, two good martinis today. And while it's certainly not good news that British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is in the hospital, uh, most folks from what we're hearing expect him to be okay, but he's still dealing with a fever and he's still uh, dealing with a cough and so forth. So they're obviously taking all the precautions here. Uh, but also yesterday, the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth II, been on the throne now for more than 68 years address the British people. We've got a couple of clips here. Uh, first one, as she has done on several occasions over the years, Queen Elizabeth II rallying the people and saying this could be one of Britain's finest hours. Together we are tackling this disease. And I want to reassure you that if we remain united and resolute, then we will overcome it. I hope in the years to come, everyone will be able to take pride in how they responded to this challenge. And those who come after us will say the Britons of this generation were as strong as any, that the attributes of self-discipline, of quiet, good-humoured resolve, and of fellow feeling still characterise this country. But Jim, this is the clip that absolutely blew my mind. When you think about how long Queen Elizabeth has been around, here she is just casually mentioning her first broadcast to the British people. 80 years ago in 1940 during the Blitz because uh, children were separated from their families. Listen to this. It reminds me of the very first broadcast I made in 1940, helped by my sister. We as children spoke from here at Windsor to children who had been evacuated from their homes and sent away for their own safety. So, Jim, there you go. Queen Elizabeth has been around for a while. She's seen some stuff. She's been doing broadcasts (laughs) since before Bernie Sanders was born or Joe Biden for that matter, but uh, hard to imagine. But uh, Queen Elizabeth, not only, you know, she's not exactly the most charismatic person on the planet, but uh, she knows how to sit up straight and she delivers a more coherent message than some presidential candidates lately. Very accurate, Greg. (laughs) And I'm kind of struck by, um, one, just how reassuring she sounds. Uh, And I don't know if it's just a general sense that, you know, she has seen almost everything in her life. Um, or whether it's just, you know, we, we in the United States tend to think of people with British accents as being smarter. Uh, <laughs> don't tell Charlie Cook that I said that. But uh, I've been thinking a lot about institutional knowledge, right? And the idea, whatever your institution is, whatever your, whatever your group or organization is, hopefully there is someone within the ranks who counts as an elder statesman, someone who has been there before, who has seen a lot before. And um, Ray Dalio, in his book, uh, Principles, talks about just the value of experience. And he says that the more you do in life, the more you see in life, the more you research, some of this can come from books and and from, you know, learning from the experiences of others. But the more you encounter something, the more you, you eventually, when some new problem comes along, some new threat, some new challenge, you're like, oh, it's another one of those situations. Now, is there such a thing as, uh, you know, having too much, uh, uh, you know, experience? Is there such a thing, you know, we like new blood, we like fresh perspectives, we like the idea of, Uh, somebody coming in and shaking things up and and altering that. 
But I think you know, Queen Elizabeth right now is just this beautiful example of the value of institutional knowledge. And the val- I, and I remember thinking about when somebody was trying to doing some uh, profile piece on her, was observing that like this is someone who has basically met and had a substantive conversation with just about every major world leader for at least a half a century and more likely coming close to three quarters of a century. Yeah. And that's just a, a mind boggling thing. So just think about just how much um, is rattling around in her head. And by the way, you know, as far as we know, there are no issues with, uh, you know, she's getting up there in years, no issues with Alzheimer's or any, or forgetfulness or anything like that. Um, and so when somebody said, you know, oh, you know, what, what, what could the queen tell you? Probably a heck of a lot. <laughs> you know, there, if you value experience, if you value historical perspective, um, and she might be the most extreme example of this on, on, the, uh, on, on the planet. Um, and just kind of an interesting contrast. When, every now and then when you look at the, the first couple months of this administration, I, I'm trying not to bash President Trump here. He was elected in part because he was an outsider. Like that was his job. That was his role. But you look around the people who were around President Trump, very few of them had worked in uh, the federal government before and very few had worked in the White House and the executive branch before. Vice President Pence had been in Congress, yes, but then he'd been a governor. So he was not a you know, veteran of the executive branch. Reince Priebus, he had been a party guy his whole life. He'd been head of the RNC, and then he stepped in to become the first and ultimately kind of short-lived White House chief of staff. Steve Bannon, not a government guy. Uh, Ivanka Trump, no government experience. Uh, Jared Kushner, not much government experience. You look around some of these early pictures, they were not people who'd been in the government, you know, who'd been in the federal government before, which means if you want to alter the direction of the federal government, if you want to change the way the federal government does things, it helps to know the bureaucracy. You can insert a plug for the weed agency here. Um, But that's the value of institutional knowledge. You know how the institution works. You know how the institution has dealt with uh, similar problems in the past, and you know how the institution can change there was very little institutional knowledge in the early days of the Trump administration. I think that represents it. Also, like how much does the country feel reassured because Anthony Fauci has been here and you can find references to, uh, I believe it was in that de- de- debate between George H.W. Bush and Mike Dukakis, in which George H.W. Bush was asked to name one of his heroes. That was 1988, right? So we are at a time where all of a sudden, I think experience and the perception that wisdom comes with experiences having a comeback here and it's just, uh, you know, I think it was, you know, particularly with the, the frightening news that, you know, Johnson has been hospitalized. This was probably exactly the message that the people of the United Kingdom and maybe the entire world needed to hear right now. Now, Jim, as regular listeners know, this does not mean that we're fans of the monarchy. We're still really glad <laughs> we won the American Revolution. And you and I roll our eyes a lot when people focus on Meghan and Harry and that aspect of, uh, of the royal family. But uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, has, has been a I think a figure of stability in some sense uh, for that country and even the Western world. Uh, you know, I, I saw an op-ed from Henry Kissinger today, who's almost 97, about what uh, needs to be done once we're past the uh, major part of this crisis. And I'm thinking, yeah, he's been around a long time. Queen Elizabeth's speech in 1940 came 30 years before any of us knew who Henry Kissinger was. So uh, <laughs> this is- it is it's almost literally like someone from a history book stepping out of the pages. <laughs> This is how we will handle this because this is how we have handled it in the past. And, you know. and it's been a bad year. Get up, everyone. No one's bombing you right now. You know, like, <laughs> exactly. The Blitz, uh, the Blitz is a different threat. But, uh, uh, I mean, uh, she's probably glad to actually focus on her job a little bit. I'm sure she's not glad the coronavirus is here. But given that her grandson basically gave the middle finger to the royal family and her son is uh, all tied up with the, well, again, wrong terminology, with the Epstein scandal. <laughs> but... Uh, 
The family's not exactly been a source of uh, uh, low blood pressure lately, so maybe the fact that she could actually focus on on, on the crisis at hand and mm. do her job, whatever that entails at this point, other than giving speeches. Uh, no doubt it is no doubt it is soothing there to her, uh, Greg, to deal with this crisis. I, I just want to observe, seeing her do this, uh, you know, give just the right words at just the right time. I don't know about you. I just feel really bad about her treatment when she visited the United States back in 1988. She was almost uh, killed Los by Angeles. She was almost killed by Reggie Jackson. I mean, exactly. And I, I understand police squad had some to do, some work with, the, uh, with saving her, but... Uh, just absolutely terrible, the, 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 the treatment of her back then. Glad, she, glad she's still around. All right, let's move on to our good sponsor for today because uh, Hydrant uh, could actually be a, a nice help for you to help keep you healthy during this uh, virus season because 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated. We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, poor focus, and a lot of studies say your immune system suffers when you don't have proper hydration, and it just doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets that you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes that your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors, or you can order a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply, and you can save even more with a monthly subscription. And right now, 3 Martini Lunch listeners, you can get 25% off your first order, and you can do that by going to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code martini at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code martini for 25% off your first order drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code martini. All right, Jim, let's move on to our second good martini here. And I think this is a tentative good martini, but we'll, uh, we'll definitely take it. Uh, the folks over at the Schaefer Center for Health Policy and Economics at the USC, University of Southern California, are seeing some signs that the curve is starting to flatten in a couple of major states, California and New York in particular. Uh, they looked at the week, well, they've been tra tracking this since February, but they looked specifically at the week of March 25th to April 1st, and they're seeing the case log in California pretty much level off, maybe even going slightly downwards uh, in terms of deaths in California, leveling off, but still slightly upwards. In New York, the cases are leveling off nicely, although the deaths are still rising. But of course, deaths are going to keep rising because they come after the diagnosis. And in the United States, both are still rising overall, but the cases are definitely looking flatter than they had, while the deaths have yet to level off. And hope, obviously, we hope that happens very soon. So Jim, we're only looking at the last uh, week or so here that folks are pinning a lot of hope on that we're starting to flatten this curve and uh, hopefully we can see this really picking up here over the next few weeks, not only so we can get back to work and, and save our economy, but so people's lives can be saved here and we can get past the worst of this. Yeah. Every time I see one of those reports, Greg, I just want to chant, bend that curve, bend <laughs> that curve. Um, and look, you know, I don't want to overstate it. One of the things that I periodically think about is if you think of it as like being like a bell curve, right? You know, going up on one side, going down on the other. The good news is, is once you've hit, once you've hit that apex, right, you know, the number is going to go down each week, but that still means you're, that, that doesn't mean it stops. It doesn't, you know, suddenly drop immediately and, and go down zero, which is where we want things to be. It's going to be a, probably a slow, gradual decline, 
you know, it's better than an increase, better than staying level, but, uh, you know, still means people will be getting sick, still means people will be in the hospital, still means people will need ICU units, and some people will be dying. Kind of another good example, I thought, that fits in well with this, particularly the indication that maybe New York City has begun to bend the curve. There was a really frightening report uh, earlier this morning from Mark Levine, not Mark Levin, uh, who's chairman of the New York City Council Health Committee, represents uh, Uptown Manhattan, and he put out an absolutely terrifying series of tweets, and one of the things he said was, soon we will start temporary interment. This likely will be done by using a New York City park for burials. Yes, you read that right. Trenches will be dug for 10 caskets in a line. It will be done in a dignified, orderly, and temporary manner, but it will be tough for New Yorkers to take. That was at 9.36 this morning. That's a terrifying, horrifying thought to imagine that there's going to be so many people dying in New York City hospitals, and not only on the morgues and all the other temporary facilities that have been set up have been, have been filled up, um, that they're going to temporarily be burying people in New York City parks. This was, as I said, as I said 9.36 a.m. Got more than a thousand retweets. The New York Post wrote about it. People were understandably horrified and shocked and freaking out. Nearly two hours later, Mark Levine puts a new addition. This tweet has gotten a lot of attention. So I want to clarify, this is a contingency New York City is preparing for, but if the death rate drops enough, it will not be necessary. You would like to think you would want to point out that this was a contingency in the original tweet. And oh, by the way, as of a few moments ago, the, uh, the contingency, the, the clarification tweet had been retweeted 47 times compared to the 1,000 retweets for the one saying they'll be burying people in, uh, in New York City parks. Hopefully it never comes to that. I, I think this is a classic example of a failure to communicate to people and setting off, if not an unnecessary panic, I think a, a lot of uh, unnecessary horrified reactions there. Um, thankfully, we're not at that point. Hopefully, we never reach that point. Uh, for those who are practicing social distancing, washing your hands, doing all the things you're supposed to be doing, good job. Keep it up. We are getting there, America. We are getting there, world. Uh, it's just going to take some patience and maybe all of us continuing to go a little bit more stir-crazy. Jim, this reminds me of uh, a hospital in Michigan that sent out, this is a couple of weeks ago now, saying because of coronavirus, uh, we are going to have to institute a policy of triage. In other words, the people with the best chance of surviving are going to get the, the ventilators and the respirators and so forth. And so, of course, everybody freaks out and they're like, well, we're not actually implementing this yet. We're just saying that if it gets to that point, that we're going to have to institute this policy. But right now, we got plenty of facilities for everyone. That would have been good to know in the first statement and not having to wait to the second statement. Yeah, I'm going to assume these are all innocent mistakes. I'm going to assume these are not people who are getting some sort of glee from setting off panic. Um, you know, you have the fog of war. You have, you know, it's easy to misconstrue things. But um, deeply frustrating to put more unnecessary tension and stress on people at a time when they're already probably near the end of their rope. Absolutely. There's so many restrictions down. There's only a few things that people can do as we transfer to our crazy martini. And one of those is that essential businesses are still open. So you can go out and get food at the grocery store, pharmacy, and so forth. But there are some in the press corps, Jim, who just want to kill every little joy that we still have, you know, like staying alive by eating stuff. And so I don't even know who this guy is, but this was at the uh, Sunday coronavirus task force briefing at the White House. Listen to this question. Obviously, we know anyone can spread the disease, right, unwittingly. Right. So why even have a few businesses open? Why not just shut everything down? There are grocery stores that are open, fast food places. Why even take a little chance to shut well, it all down? We're going to have to, it, we'll answer that question later. 
All I can say is that right now, things are looking really good, and opening up with a bang will be a great thing, and there's nobody going to be happier than me. So, Jim, there are killjoys, and then there are this guy who basically can't uh, stand the fact that anything is open. Why do you even have grocery stores open, Mr. President? Because we need to sustain life? Um, My sons have been running around singing a parody version of the theme from the Lego movie a few years ago. Instead of singing, everything is awesome, they've been singing, everything is canceled, (laughs) um, which applies to their school and all of their after-school activities and flag football and all these other things they were supposed to do. Um, So uh, for you and I last week, towards the end of last week, we're making fun of the police who gave a citation to the guy who was out on the surfboard or or whatever the wave rider or whatever it was out in the middle of nowhere in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, apparently over in the UK, they're, they're writing tickets to people who are sunbathing. Um, and, and we've been saying, you know, dear, dear authorities, you really can't expect people to stay locked up in their houses forever. They need to go out somewhat. If you start giving people tickets for taking a walk in the park, uh, that's when you're going to have people saying, you know, to heck with this, this is nonsense. You can't tell me what I'm going to do. And that's when everybody's going to start disobeying the rules. Um, this past weekend was gorgeous weather. Previous weekend had been kind of cloudy. Family and I, two weekends ago, went to a state park uh, here near in, in Northern Virginia. Um, it was a state park that had you charging people for parking. So maybe that kept certain people away. We went out there. We had a great time. Uh, we practiced social distancing. You know, once in a great while, you're passing somebody on the path. You try to, you know, keep your distance. It's not a very wide path, but things are, you know, you're, you're able to get through it. All of us felt fine. No indication any of us caught anything. You know, it's everyone seemed to be practicing um, social distancing appropriately and respectfully. You know, I think it was one of the doctors who I follow on, on, on Twitter was saying, like, look, you're never going to have perfect 100% protection if you leave your house. The question now is, how can you minimize your risk? And his general sense was that allow, people, allowing people to walk and jog or bike in parks was important enough for their health. And the risk of accidental exposure or, or contagion or, or you know, spreading the virus from one person to another was small enough that it struck him as an acceptable risk. He was not saying there was no risk. Um, but generally, if you're trying to avoid people, the chances of you know, jogging by somebody else who's shedding the virus, you're probably not going to get it. This past weekend, uh, we're looking around at other parks. The family decides to go to the uh, Manassas Battlefield Park. I'm sorry for you Southerners, Bull Run. My sons have informed me that uh, the North named the battlefields over in the nearest community. The South named the battlefields off the nearest body of water. But anyway, we went there and we decided not to stick around too long because there were a lot of people who were not having this same attitude of practicing social distancing, just walking too close to each other, congregating too much, a couple more narrow pathways and people who just didn't seem to realize that we're supposed to be keeping, you know, they, I know they say keep six feet apart, you know, on a narrow path. Maybe you're not going to be able to do that. but. Um, uh, you know, I, Greg, I just had this feeling that if I said to these people, uh, hey, look, you're, you're really not supposed to be standing that close to people, uh, you know, you catch the coronavirus. Greg, my fear was that some of these people would say, what coronavirus? And, and again, it was kind of, it also, this was a national battlefield. It's a national park. There is no entrance fee. I can't help but wonder if that was a factor in how many people were in the park and how many people were enjoying. Um, but I came away with a newfound sympathy for people in authority who are trying to stop people from congregating. And yesterday around, you know, early afternoon in uh, uh, Manassas Battlefield Park, there were just too many people not spread out enough. And I can understand why authorities would get nervous about this stuff. Um, this doesn't mean I like the idea of ticketing people who are sunbathing and, and all that kind of stuff. I think everybody in, in authority has got to, 
you know, walk this line and figure out a way to balance this. And obviously all the messaging is good is, you know, is kind of, you know, they're beating the drum on this, but I guess I feel after this experience last weekend, my fear is that there are some people who are either ignoring this entirely, uh, getting kind of lackadaisical in their practices and all this. And, um, you'd like to think most of this can work through with common sense and, you know, gentle reminders and gentle warnings and police don't have to arrest people or something like that. What I saw yesterday made me think, huh, you know, maybe the police are going to have to take a tougher line on this. It's deeply frustrating, but uh, some people just do not seem to be following the public instructions on this. There stands Garrity like a stone wall against public <laughs> stupidity. That's where Stonewall Jackson got his nickname was. I thought, I, I, I oh, my, my sons explained that much. They've done their, their civil war history. <laughs> the uh, first, please, I'm, in, I'm in a part of Virginia where they still call it the civil war and not the war of Northern aggression. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So the grocery stores can stay open though, right? I think we can, uh, we can agree on that. Yes. Well, that's the thing is that <laughs> if, sorry, as I, you saw how, how, how much of a segue I got. I mean, uh, first of all, you tell people you can't go to grocery stores. The grocery stores near me are practicing social distancing. They want you, they're only letting a certain number of people online. A bunch of the grocery stores near me are allowing seniors in at certain hours. So they have those who are immunocompromised so that they have an easier time. Um, but mostly people are doing their, what they're supposed to do. They're standing five feet apart outside in the line. And, you know, everything seems to be running fairly smoothly. The moment you say, yeah, we're shutting down the grocery stores that's where you're going to have a revolt on your hands. That's when people, you know, and I think there's been like, we have all accepted impositions upon our liberty and our rights of Americans because we accept that these are necessary steps to stop a virus that could kill a lot of people. The moment we get the idea that somebody's getting a power trip from this, that somebody's enjoying respect my authority as they uh, did in <laughs> South Park, the moment people are going to say, all right, this is all nonsense. These guys are exaggerating this. I'm going to go out and do what I want to do. And that's when you have real problems in this country. It's, it's, the, the, the only, the, I can't imagine that they would contemplate closing down fast food restaurants, closing down grocery stores and you know spectacularly they've done this in pennsylvania greg and i can't believe they've shut they haven't you know set off some sort of vital insurrection they shut down the liquor stores that goes back to the american founding man the whiskey right i mean you know peggy noonan made the observation that no society has successfully shut down both the churches and the access to liquor at the same time (laughs) even the soviet union was like well you can have as much vodka as you want it's only a matter of time. So hopefully we can bend this curve as quickly as possible because once you start getting to those points, uh, people's patience run out pretty fast. So Jim, happy Monday to you. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to visit our good sponsors over at Hydrant. Remember, it is drinkhydrant.com. Enter the promo code Martini at checkout for 25% off your first order. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review with five stars. Don't forget, you can get us on those home players. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And join us, please, on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.